Hey, welcome to the Female Founder World Podcast. I'm Jasmine. I host the show and I don't know, you see me in the group chat for Female Founder World. I'm at all of the events. I am doing all things Female Founder World. But today's guest is somebody that I have been trying to rope into this community for a really long time. She's amazing. Her name's Jane Liu. She's the founder of a nine-figure fashion business out of Australia called Shopo. She also has a business course. She has a podcast. She is a judge on the first season of Shark Tank Australia, which is coming out pretty soon. She has kids, like she has a lot going on. So it took a while to line up this interview, but we finally got there and truly it did not disappoint. I focus a lot on launch marketing, which is going to be the theme over the next few weeks on the podcast. We are focusing on launch strategies, on how people get things off the ground and not just new businesses, but how they're thinking about launching new products. So if you're somebody who's already got an existing business and you want to grow it and build out new offerings to your product line, like this is going to be relevant to you as well. So we talk about her launch process, how she launched the business and got traction, but then also like how they launch collections now as a massive company, how she thinks about influencers and UGC. It's a great conversation, but the best thing about Jane's founder story, which we talk a bit about, but I just want to like flag right here is how she got started. It's just the wildest. Like, I don't know. It's it's the story that I've, I've heard it over and over again because I've been following her story. And so I feel like maybe we skimmed over it a little bit in the episode. So I want to give you the story now. Basically, Jane was raised like pretty conservatively. Her parents wanted her to have a steady full-time job, like that real like immigrant mindset. And she thought that that's what she wanted to. She worked for a big accounting firm. And then one day her and somebody else like started a business. It was like this pop-up fashion store. She quit her job and went all in on this, on this business idea and didn't tell her parents because like we said, conservative, they wouldn't have maybe understood at the time. She was nervous about what they would have thought. And so she got dressed every day, like in a suit. She lived with her parents. So she like got on the bus with her mom to go into the city, pretended she was going to work, but then would go to coffee shops and like the library and work on this fashion startup. Anyway, the pop-up store concept failed. The Her and her business partner separated and she couldn't get another job because it was in the middle of the GFC. And so she decided to start another business. It became Shopo. It was a hit and... It is just the most inspiring story about how she got this off the ground and continued to grow it. Before we jump into the show, I have a quick recommendation for you. It is another podcast. It's by Dolma Alton and the show is called Due Diligence. It is for entrepreneurs, founders, anyone in the tech and entrepreneurship space. Dolma is pretty big on TikTok. That's where I discovered her. And she recently released this pod where she dives really deep into brand building, founder stories, and the startup space is a little bit more tech focused than our show. But if you're interested in business in general, I think you're going to love it. Link in the show notes if you want to check out Due Diligence by Dolma Alton. Okay, let's get into the episode. You are now entering Female Founder World with your host, Jasmine Grindsworthy. Jane, welcome to Female Founder World. I'm so excited to have you on the show. This is a long time coming. Yes, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited too. Okay, so I want to I want to start by giving people a bit of an understanding. Like you have built a nine-figure retailer. You are going to be a judge on the first season of Shark Tank in Australia. You just launched a podcast. Like you have a lot of things going on, but we're going to spend most of this conversation talking about Shopo and how you built your fashion business. 
I love your startup story. I feel like it is one of the most like, <laughs> like funny, relatable, wild kind of startup stories. You're working finance, you lied to your parents and it just like all happened to work out. But in the early days, it didn't feel like that. Like talk me through what you were doing in the beginning and how you got this all off the ground. Oh my God, we're going way back. So this is now 13 years ago. Oh, sorry. This is now like 13 years ago when I was, I used to work in accounting at a big four accounting firm and I just absolutely hated it. And so I actually thought, I I actually quit my job to start another business um, and it was running pop-up stores and I just didn't care what the business model was. I was just so excited to start a business. I was just, you know, trying to like chase the dream. And then, um, so I quit my job, but then my business partner screwed me over and she left me high and dry and said that we were going to close the business down. So then all of a sudden I was now unemployed. I had a failed business. I was in debt from the business and like from quitting my job, from uni, a bunch of things. So I was in $60,000 of debt and then... Yeah. And then I was like, and it was in the middle of the global financial crisis. So I couldn't get another job. So my only option was to start another business. So I started Shopo by default. <laughs> so because I had quit my first business, couldn't bring myself to tell my parents that I had done that because I, we kind of immigrated from China. So my parents would give me the chance of a better future. Um, and they wanted me to, you know, go to a good school, uni, get a great job. And so all of a sudden I did tell them that I've just thrown it all away to sell clothes online, which is just like... Also, not, people weren't selling clothes online then. People weren't selling much online, exactly. And so my parents, I, there was no way I could tell them anything. I could tell them this. So I just kind of didn't tell them. I thought that was the only logical option. So for the first six months of starting Shopo, um, I just actually pretended to go to work every day get up early, put on my corporate suit. Then like my mom worked in the city. So I had to get the bus into the city with my mom every day. <laughs> and just like, oh God, just thinking what the hell have I done with my life? <laughs> oh my God. Okay. We know now that it did work out, but you're starting a business when you're $60,000 in debt. And like one of the questions that we get in our group all the time, it's like, how do I, how do I fund a business? I can't get like access to funding for women full stop is difficult, but particularly if you're in like consumer, it's super, super hard. So people are bootstrapping, but you started from a place of being in debt. How did you manage those like huge costs that come up with starting a business? Like you needed to buy product and you needed to like market the business. What were you doing that was like scrappy and that other people can kind of think about when they're, when they're trying to start something now? So I, so I think your two main costs with starting a business is product and marketing. And now when I look at a lot of small businesses, I see people spending a lot on websites and like all these other, like anything else you just, it's, it's unnecessary and I think that's what kind of um, like dries up a business's funds. And so for me, it's, it's all about marketing and inventory. So in terms of inventory, we bought stock on consignment. So we found a supplier that would sell to us on consignment, which meant that we only had to pay for it after it's sold. Now, this is really uncommon, but the only reason I even knew about this is because that's what we did with our first business, our pop-up store. Mm. So we had no, well, we all like me and two business partners at the time put in $10,000 each. And so we actually lost $7,000 of that on a website, which with hindsight, I could have built myself, you know? So 
in terms of stock, we didn't buy anything. We went around to the markets and we handed out business cards and we're like, hey, if you're on the stock with us, we do it on consignment, 50 cent markup. And because we approached people at markets who are emerging designers, they were able to, I guess there was, they were desperate to kind of find stockists as we were desperate to find like stock. So it was a good way of getting people to be able to work on consignment. And then cut to, for Shopo, using that consignment model again, I, I think we got quite lucky finding a supplier that was happy to do that with us because we gave them exclusivity at the start as well. Um, it was an, at the time, it was a brand that didn't have an online presence. So we were kind of doing that for them because they were not at the time realizing that opportunity for themselves. So that's how we got stock. And so it meant that every day I would have to go into the supplier's office and pick up stock, which is like a lot of effort. Um, but then at that time, you know, I had had plenty of time. I didn't have money, so it made sense. And so that's that's what we did for inventory. And then in terms of marketing, um, we did everything on social media, which at the time was still really uncommon. And I thought it was a big hindrance that at the time I was like, oh, I knew I should have done a marketing degree as part of my commerce degree. So I was really kicking myself because I was like this accounting and finance, it's useless. Um, but then I realized not doing that marketing degree was so good because it would have constrained me to being stuck in this traditional way of thinking, thinking that, oh my God, I can't do PR. I can't do billboards. I can't do radio. There's no way to market myself because I had to get like strappy, I, um, strappy or scrappy? <laughs> anyway, I had to like hustle and do it all on social media at the time. This is Facebook marketing. That's how long ago it was. That was mm. just like, so yeah, um, we, I heard you did like a competition on Facebook. What, or like face of Shopo, like what was right. that? Did it work? How did that go? So, Oh, I was, I remember I was like one night I was on my couch or on my boyfriend's couch. Cause this is when I just, I finally, as soon as he moved to, um, Sydney from Brisbane, I just showed up at his house with all my stock. And this is how I stopped pretending to lie to my parents. And I'm like, surprise, we live together now. Anyway. So I was on his couch one night feeling really sad for myself being like, what am I doing with my life? And I was watching America's next top model as I was like, you know, doing website uploads. And then they had this mm -hmm. audience favorite segment for the first time where you're meant to vote on Facebook. And I was like, oh my God, this is brilliant because this is back when there was Facebook Fangate. Like Fangate was still on, so you had to like and follow a page in order to engage with it. And so we, I basically put it out there that if you, to our following, which is 3,000 people at the time, to enter a competition to be the face of Shopo or Showpony at the time. And then so these girls entered themselves and then they would then ask their friends to go and vote for them. So they would, the, like girls went crazy. Like they went and like mm -hmm. started Facebook groups, Facebook pages, like Facebook events, um, tagging all of their friends. And so their friends would vote for them and follow the page, but then their friends entered themselves and it just started having this multiple, and then reaching out to their friends. It had this amazing multiplier effect where we went from 3,000 to 20,000 followers in the space of a month and it cost nothing. And at that time, back in 2012, 20,000 Facebook followers was like a lot. And so combined- You're an influencer, yeah. Exactly, combined with like that, that many followers, having like, a name like show pony which just because it's a com common turn of phrase it sounds more established having a, like a landline number having a bricks and mortar store like it just made us seem so established as an early 
like like an early e-commerce store and so every every little bit of that helped I heard you say that, um, you know, a year into the business ish, like things kind of plateaued, your business partner left. It was like all then on you. And I'm really curious about how you turned it around. I was listening to your, um, the podcast episode that you did about this. And it was like, when, when the business partner left, the business was doing like five grand a month or something. And then the next month you did nearly, you nearly doubled it. And then within two years, you had your first million dollar month. Like what, what are you doing? Surely, what did you was do? it literally just like posting on Facebook? Like what were you doing? It was so it was literally a bit of everything. And I, I I almost wish that at the time it's a great whenever you have a baseline, it's always good to almost like A B test things so you know what works. Because I mean at the t- obviously then you you would now you would have analytics, you would be able to look into the metrics mm-hmm. to see what works. But at the time I didn't have that either. So I wish I could just say that I did one thing and then could see if it worked or not. But because it was that month of, I was like, oh my God, it was all me. I just literally did everything that I could. So we, I went and bought more stock. You know, if you have more stock, you've got more stuff to sell. And then I started doing more social media posts. I started doing Google ads. Um, and then because You're doing I- them yourself? You're just like learning as you go, uh, like on YouTube or at, something? At this point, yes. I I think it was, yeah, it was just like Googling how to do it. And I don't even know if it's done well. Um, and I think, I remember at that point before my business partner actually said to me, she was like, and I was like, let's do Google ads. And because it, the business wasn't going well, like I understand why she was saying that. She's like, let's just make more money before we spend more money. And that was kind of her attitude. I was just living the business. And I was like, oh my God. And so... Anyway, we started doing Google ads. We started, we oh, I removed the shipping charge. Um, so it was free shipping. Um, what do we do? We took like, yeah, I think just like having, having more content go out. Um, but like quicker customer service, quicker social media responses. It was like literally, I, I think the problem was as the business, you know, it got to the stage where it's been like a year and a half with my business partner and it wasn't going well. And I felt like I was doing all the work. I was probably getting a bit bitter as well. So I wasn't necessarily doing that much. I was like, well, you're, if you're not doing much, I'm not doing much. So I wasn't really doing that much to be fair at that $5,000 mark as well. And so we, at that point also had, um, it's also like hard to put in like a quick story, but we had a store in the city, um, in the, in like a little kiosk area and that was doing quite well. So that was taking my attention and you know, that being December, it was, the store was doing really well. I, um, probably making like 50 K that month. Oh no, that's a lot. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> sorry. Yeah. It was doing like the store, sorry, the, the city store was doing 50,000 and the online was doing 5,000. So it was just not taking that much my, my of my attention. Interesting. Okay. And now like when I look at Shopo and I've been following you guys since you started, like, I feel like I've been shopping the brand. I was working as a fashion editor when you were like getting all of this going. So I've been watching what you've been doing and like wearing Shopo forever. And it's been really cool to see you like add, just expand, like adding new categories. You did workwear, like seven years ago, you brought in inclusive sizing. You started doing like wedding. I know that you wore, you wore like a $300 wedding dress yeah. right, from Shopo to your wedding and it looked amazing. I am curious about like how you think about adding in and launching new categories. Like what is it? Is it fueled by like data that's coming through? Is it mm-hmm. like an intuitive thing for you as a CEO? Like where does that, where do those insights and decisions come from? 
Um, it's a bit of both because you ultimately you want to chase like what you want to do what your customers actually want and you want to chase the money right so in terms of categories like we started by doing like formal because we had bought a few more formal pieces and they were selling really well and also the margins are there because ultimately like your you can charge a lot more for a formal dress um and so that was kind of our first foray into having like our own collection um and then in terms of then the next thing was workwear I just remember that was more of a personal this is still because it was in our infancy you know you you're kind of more driven by doing things that you want and you're trying to solve a problem that you see for yourself um and so that was when I was in terms like when I was working corporate, my entire, do you remember Q? Like the brand, like that used to be my favorite store, but it was my entire paycheck because I was on like a $24,000 a year salary. And so, um, I wanted to find like a solution for affordable workwear. And so that's our next, that's when, that's probably our first big formal, like this is our collection, our range, new category that we've created. And then in, in terms of extending our sizes, it was just, I think, you can, it, it was a response to what customers were saying, were asking for, and it just seemed like a very obvious natural progression for the business. At the time we first said we should do this, it seemed nearly impossible because we none of our suppliers wanted to do it and we were such a small fish for any of our China suppliers. So we just didn't think it was going to be possible, but... You know, it, it took it took a couple of years, but we got there. <laughs> when you when you say that you're like listening to what customers are saying, is that literally like what they're sending in customer like in over emails? Is it Instagram comments? Like where does that feedback come from and how do you gather it? Yeah, it's in terms of it's comments in on social media, it's emails, and then it's also I guess you're looking at, you know, in a way in a way you look at what global trends are I mean at the time that we did extended sizes it wasn't that clear I feel like it's very clear the movement towards size inclusivity at that time that that wasn't clear um and so you kind of have to like take like follow your gut on some things um but in terms of like listening to your customers it's a hard one because sometimes you have to also be commercial because if you try and please everyone that you're pleasing no one and then you know, we sometimes people ask for longer dresses, but then the bulk of our customers want short dresses and then we make them a bit longer. How, like, how do you say, oh, we've made more modest styles, but you're not buying them. So, yeah. And so it's like how it's, it's hard to find that balance sometimes. I think it depends on what you're trying to do. Like if you're not actually changing up what your production demands, you can test things. So it's all about, even at our stage, my biggest advice for any business is to like test and iterate. And I know that's not, that's not anything new, but I guess for me to say that it's something that we still have to do at this size. Like we don't know what we're, we don't don't just go, oh, we know what we're doing. We're going to back this hundred percent. Like we're still testing and iterating, um, even at at our size at very small quantities. Um, because you know, we've, we've actually made the mistake of even at a bigger size of just like banking too much on, you know, gut feel, I guess. Um, even without gut feel, even with data, like you, you can never be sure, I think. 
Yeah, I want to talk a little bit more about like launching those collections because we spoke about like, you know, marketing that got the business off the ground. And I don't know, I just feel like you are a really skilled like brand and marketing person. Obviously, you're like the CEO and the business brains behind everything. But I just feel like Showpo's brand is really strong. When you launch stuff, like people know about it. I see it everywhere. What does a what does a launch look like now when you're releasing new product or you're launching a big new like um, a new category? Like, are you doing launch events, influencer gifting, affiliates? Mm-hmm. Like, what what what's some things that like work right now in 2023? Oh, that's a tough one. I feel like the um, the environment for campaigns has really changed in the last few years there's just so much noise that it's really hard to get Mm. airtime and so I think in terms of campaigns there's always a few things we'll do like a big campaign you'll do a few hype posts but we I've seen I've seen other brands doing very successful like hype marketing and I we don't do it that much because there's always so much going on that there's not enough room to build hype because you're actually already promoting another concurrently promoting another collection at the same time it it really depends I I do think like I guess for my podcast that was probably the most hype I've ever given something and that actually did work like that so maybe we'll reevaluate our hype process actually as I think more (laughs) about this um but in terms of like for our campaigns like we'll you know we'll have different tiers and then for each tier we'll have different like what we what we spend on the marketing in terms in terms of like influencer gifting, influencer paid collabs, and in terms of like whether we do an event or not. Um, I mean, I just, I, I I personally love the idea of having little like intimate dinners, like to celebrate the launch of the event because it's fun. I think it does, in terms of like reach, it's, it's a great, it's a great value proposition in terms of like, if you're looking at the paid part of it, we'll calculate it based on like the cost per engagement. Um, if that was like a paid compared to a paid post. And I think it makes a lot more of an impact, but that's not to say like, I know that influencer marketing works, but I think for a startup, I'm, I still, I'm not fully convinced on influencer marketing as a whole for everyone because of how expensive it is and how much it can drain people's money it, it almost feels like and I feel like how influencer marketing now is almost like how PR can be I think it depends if you have mm-hmm. a great PRable product if there's lots to talk about then then you can it's it's a great avenue but if you just it just I think I don't know. I think it depends on the product. I think it depends on finding the right influencer alignment. I just have seen so many small businesses waste money on influencer marketing and it's gone nowhere. Whereas, you know, the other strategy is to actually pay for UGC and have a boosted paid strategy. But ultimately that does depend on the product. So Jane, I feel like you're like one of the few people that are saying this right now that like influencers is not the move. And I'm super interested, like when you think about doing UGC and boosting it, like for someone who hasn't done that before and who was like entering this, like, what does that mean? Like, what does that look like? Oh, sorry. Yes. I'm like, oh my God, even like when we're on Shark Tech, I'm like, they're like, stop using jargon. Um, I always tell people off about using jargon and using abbreviations. And I'm like, oh my God, I didn't realize I was doing it myself. <laughs> so sorry. Um, so user generated content. So basically getting content creators and now there's so the the creator economy is huge and I think it's 
I love that. I love how like TikTok, Instagram has allowed anyone to be an entrepreneur by creating content. Like you don't need to have a physical product. Like you, it's your service, it's your brand, it's your um, it's your time that you can monetize. So I love that. All basically getting the right um, content creator to make content for your product, and then getting usage on that, and then boosting it as an ad. I feel like when I buy random shit on the internet, it's mm-hmm. from like. You know those Facebook ads that's like, oh, here's a problem you didn't know you have. And here's our, our, here's our product, how our product solves it. I think it's brilliant. Okay, I love that. Um, that's super insightful on like how, how you're thinking about influencers now. Because I think, I totally think you're right. I was literally having a conversation with somebody last night at one of our events about this. And she was, she has a really expensive like jewelry brand. And she was kind of like, I don't know, like how I work with, if I should work with influencers and how I should do it. And whether it's worthwhile. And I was like, you just need to be like, if you're going to do it through a gifting campaign and not through paid, like it's so hard to get them, get anyone to post about you. Um, And you just have to be so uh, like personalized and targeted about what you're doing and who you're gifting. There was this really cool, um, do you know, you know, a Twile Collective that like um, makeup brand, makeup case brand. Case brand, yeah. yeah, so Michelle lives in New York now. She's an Aussie and she did this campaign to gift Sofa Dofa, I think is her name, the yeah, big right. TikToker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, she saw that she was going away on like this big European holiday and like she loves her cat and her cat was going to be left behind. And Michelle literally like had her cases hand painted with this like Italian inspired lemon print. She filled it with this really fancy wow. cat food that was like for the cat. She sent the gift to... Um, Soph's mum and to her so that it was like, you know, pulling at the heartstrings of that like relationship. They curated a playlist for like the cat to listen to while Soph was traveling. Like she went so all out and then she, and then they got some free coverage um, based on like gifting because like they went so, wow. so instead of gifting yeah. a whole lot of people, they just like picked one person and just like really went in on it. And I thought that mm-hmm. was such an interesting way to think about it because the influencer marketing thing is really hard. Yeah, absolutely. That's so smart because, you know, a post with sofa dofa would not be cheap <laughs> so no really totally good. i do have to say the best influencer content creator for any business is yourself so i feel like if you don't have the money and you don't want to take a risk with even content creators just turn yourself into a content creator for your own business and influence. okay so this literally feeds perfectly into what i want to talk to you next which is you're like a superstar content creator. For <sighs> I don't know how you're like the CEO and literally the, this like face of this business as well. You look like you're having so much fun all the time, which I feel like is really on brand for like the actual product that you sell. Also, I feel like that's just your vibe and who you are, but you are really forward facing. You're, you know, you're going on Shark Tank as a judge. And then you also say that you have imposter syndrome as well. And we always have people in the community being like, I don't want to go on TikTok. Like, I don't want to be the face mm. of the business. I'm just going to like get other people to do it. And I'm like, dude, you're missing such a big opportunity and you don't have budget to pay people to do it. So you just need to get over it. How did you get over it? So, okay. Well, maybe I'm like, I don't know. So maybe I'm a bit of a, like, a weirdo because back in high school, me and one of my friends used to like make skits and then just record it on a camcorder for ourselves. They were like <laughs> so bad. It was almost like, you know, um, scary movie or like you know those like spoof kind of stuff or like make spoofs of like reality tv shows and like movies and anyway so and then it's not for anyone to see because it would be way too embarrassing like I'm so glad 
those were before the days of YouTube and we never went, let's just see if anyone likes it. No, we just kept it. Oh my it God, on I think this about everything. <laughs> but um, I'm like so glad I grew up before this. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I genuinely actually enjoy content creation. I definitely get like, I'm so I definitely get nervous about putting stuff on the internet. Like I get even like, if I'm like upstairs making a video, and my husband, I can hear him coming up the stairs. I'll take the tripod and I'll go shove it in like the walk-in wardrobe because I'm like, oh, I'm not doing anything. It's like as if I'm having an affair and I'm like, go hide. Like I'm so um, nervous about content creation. But like when I do it with people, I really kind of enjoy it. It's like a creative outlet. Um, but like I'm, it took me a while to properly get on TikTok. There was a while, um, I think I... I think for me, I enjoy it as more of a social group activity. So I feel like that's when that's, you know, doing it at work, I like it. But then during COVID, which would have been the time to actually do that content, um, when I was in lockdown, I was too scared and too nervous and I was too self-critical because you're just like, and so I didn't actually do that much then. So that was that was a big opportunity miss. But okay, in terms of doing the, doing content and being the face of the brand in a way, I originally also tried to do PR for Shopo back in the early days. And because we were not designing our own products, I'm not a designer. Um, it was we were p- purely retailing now, and you know, and now we're designing most of our own clothes. But because we were just a retailer at the start, it was nothing PRable, right? And so that's the that's when I say people shouldn't just get a PR agency and just be like go talk about this product that has no story. So then anyways, and also I couldn't afford to actually hire an agency. So I was trying to do my PR, nothing was working. And then I found that people were interested in me as talking as an entrepreneur. And back, this is in the early like 2012s, 2013, I found that like me as a female Asian entrepreneur, like it gave me a point of difference. Like, and so I'm like, fuck man, I'm going to use being a minority. Like, of course <laughs> it's going to work, totally. you know? So I, I, it was great. So I was able to get a lot of PR. Um, and then it just kind of, you know, why, like, why wouldn't I take the PR opportunity? Um, so that's kind of how it wasn't a strategy. Um, like even, so I've, I've launched a business course at the start of the year and I was writing the PR strategy. I'm like, make yourself the brand, go do this, go do speaking, blah, blah, blah. Like this is how you can um, leverage from one thing to the other and build a, a name for yourself and your brand. But then at the time I was doing it, it wasn't at all a strategy because you didn't really know what you were doing. It was just you know, as a startup, you're just trying to chasing the money, you're chasing PR, you're just chasing whatever opportunity you could possibly get for the business. And so how, which is actually amazing now that by doing so, that's why, I mean, there's some lots of amazing businesses out there, but for Shark Tank, the production company to have found me, it's because I have put myself, and if you look at the other judges, mm-hmm. they put themselves out there too. Like you see like Sabri and Davey all over social media. You see Dr. Kat Wallace. She is, well, she, she's on like 60 Minutes Q&A. She's like, she's on like a lot more formal programs and she's in like the AFR. But anyway, she puts herself out there, right? You never know what door things it will open for you, but I think it's, you just have to put yourself out there. 
Yeah. And you know, you've been like creating content, putting yourself out there for years. And then this like big opportunity came from it. So I think that's the thing as well. Like mm. some people like, well, you know, I do think you can post for a few months and get disheartened. And it's like a brand and a personal brand is built by telling your story over and over again. Like how many times have you told the story about how you started and like how you didn't tell your parents? Like you must have told that story literally thousands of times, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It's um, like, it's not just you make one TikTok and then all of a sudden, like a personal brand is made. Like this has been something that you've been saying again and again for years. Yeah. I feel like my team are like, oh, the suit, the bus. Yes, we know. (laughs) Okay. I want to like switch gears a little bit and talk about like hiring, firing, managing a team. You are someone who, who has been able to like really effectively scale something. And obviously a big part of that is that you have found a way to like zoom out of the business. And this is something that I think a lot of people have, like you get to a certain point and it's like, you don't know how to bring the right people in and to remove yourself from the right tasks so that you can focus on growth and other people can focus on like the operating stuff of the, of the actual business. What advice do you have for people around this? Like what's worked for you? Um, what hasn't, yeah. like, you know, what have you messed up? I mean, I think the biggest, the first step to scaling any business is to hire, start hiring and then put in systems and processes so that you can work on the business instead of in the business. And, you know, it's funny. I feel like it's, I think for so many people, it's so easy to get caught up in trying to do everything and trying to be a perfectionist for it. I'm also, it's interesting. I was actually thinking about this exact thing last night because I kind of treat my new podcast as a startup because it's kind of, it's kind of like it's new little venture. And I realized that I was spending so much time in it. I was like up until like midnight last night, just like doing some of the editing. Um, and then I was like, no, this can be really Why are you du- editing your own podcast? <laughs> no, I was like choosing, I was like choosing the listening to it and then marking up the transcript or like the, yeah. trying, I was trying to like try, and I've been editing my own snippets because I'm like, oh, but get mm-hmm. rid of that silence. And so, and then last night I realized, oh my God, it's not worth it. This, it's, you're never, this, I, I realized I'm not going to be able to do this long term. I'm going to get burn myself yep. out and then I'm not going to be able to like spend more time doing other parts, like there's other parts of, of the podcast I could be doing, like in terms of like finding, like, you know, finding new speakers, thinking about new questions, thinking about ways to evolve the podcast, like marketing. If I'm just working on the day, the working on the day-to-day tasks and I just need to let go. And like, actually, yes, if you didn't remove that pause or whatever, or you remove that awkward word, it's actually not going to make a difference. Like you're not actually like, it's not actually worth it for what you're missing out on. And so that I was, it's literally what kind of happened at the start of the business. I was literally doing everything. When my business partner left, I was managing the stores, which meant like replenishing the stock, managing the team. um, And then, you know, everything that comes with like managing a store. And then like in terms of the online business, taking econ photos, like cropping, uploading. I think I had one virtual assistant at the time. So that was, she was able to help. But then I was doing social media, customer service. I was physically driving Mm. to buy this, pick up the stock still. Um, doing all the just like picking the orders, writing thank you notes, packing it, packing them, and taking them to the post office. It was literally a full like I would just get up and get into work mode and go straight into and just working these crazy hours, which I know like most a lot of like startups do. 
but then that would have limited the business to a certain amount of growth. And me thinking like, oh, I, how am I going to possibly have the time to train someone when I'm so busy doing this? And what if they make yeah. a mistake? Um, they're not going to be able to do this as well as I could. I can. And I remember at the time that, you know, minimum wage at the time was maybe like $23, 20 I don't know. But then I was, I remember I was on 570 when I started at McDonald's, which I was like 14 and, you know, it's stupid. I was, I was $6.80. That was exactly. my Exactly. Yeah. But you're just like yeah. thinking like, oh my God, it's so expensive. I should just do this myself. And because I've been so poor, like poor for so long in the lead up to this, um, anyway, it wasn't, this sounds so, you're not going to believe this. It's so silly, but I, when business wasn't going well, but I had just started making some money for, from the store. I, my, I booked a trip to go to Miami for Ultra Music Festival in March. So remember that Jan, January was when we started doing 9,000 a month. Feb, we were now doing 40. So I'm looking at the next month thinking, oh my God, like I've just had, started having momentum. It would be so reckless to go on this trip. But I also have really bad FOMO and I can be really convinced. Like I'm always like, if, if someone goes, oh have God, one Jane. more drink, I will be like, yeah, I'll have one more drink. I'm, I'm like the last person at every party. So I can be really, like I have a really, what is it, rubbery elbow? Rubber anyway, arm, yeah, yeah. Rubber arm, okay. <laughs> so Rub, just, just the elbow for just you. <laughs> rubber arm, okay. Uh, and so I've said, I swear I've said rubbery elbow so many times and people would have been like, okay, good, good for you. <laughs> anyway, um, so... I went on this trip. I took, I got one of the girls I was working at the store to come into my, to come and work on the online business. So this is my first, like the first employee um, for like Showpony, the, the online store. Showpony, the online store. Anyway, this is still in my parents' garage. So she would have to go through my parents' house downstairs to the garage to work. And uh, when I, and then that month, we, we did $75,000 that month. The business almost doubled right. that month. I was away for like a week and a half. Um, yeah, so I went to Miami. I went to New York, had the best time. And I came back, nothing was broken. And obviously she made a couple of mistakes, but the business still kept growing. And then I, I actually found out that she was billing me for, and so that's the thing. This is why you don't want to take these risks because you're like, oh, this person's going to make mistakes. They're going to like... Um, they, you know, they could, if you hire someone, they might do something dishonest. Well, she did. She actually started, she was billing me till 9 p.m. every night and just saying like, oh, there was a lot of work, blah, blah, blah. But then she, I, I could see the last, she was basically just doing dispatch and emails. Um, but then the last email was 3 p.m. in the sent box. Mm. Like, an idiot. <laughs> anyway, and then you, you're not going to be packing orders after say 5 p.m. or 5.30, right? So yeah. I'm like, what were you doing? And I know that she had bad internet at home. So she was just doing her uni assignment at my house in my parents' garage. And then my mom is like, and I just couldn't believe, like, this is like, she, my mom was making her dinner because she was working overtime. So she was there doing her uni assignment, charging me for it. Getting and my mom food. was making her dinner. Like, what so the how fuck? do you get over this experience and then decide, actually, you know what? I need to keep growing the team. That's the move. And not just think, oh shit, I'm never going to trust anyone with my business baby again. Um, yeah, I, th I, th I don't, oh God, what was my mindset back then? I think I was just like, oh my God, $140,000. I, 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 I could only see yeah. at that time. I was so happy. <laughs> and I was just had this amazing trip. So I was pretty like, um, I was pretty happy with myself. So I came back and then I 
And the fact that like I had this person now working, well, she obviously, I got rid of her, but then I brought someone else in and we started growing the team. The next month, $140,000 in sales, you know, like it was mm. just being able to then work on the business, doing more, like doing way more things. I think we started like hiring like a um, ad agency by that at, at some point around then. So, you know, I, I think there's all the no's for why you shouldn't do something. But ultimately, you have to look at the opportunity cost of like doing it yourself, you know? And I think, of course, there's going to be mistakes that's made. Like it's not going to be a perfect execution of scaling the business. Of course it's not. That's the whole point. You're meant to just overcome these challenges. And had you not learned your mistakes at an earlier stage, when the business is bigger, you're going to make it again because you are like human nature. You are just... The, the type of person you are, you're bound to make that mistake until you learn. So you're better off making it when the business is smaller, when you put more, less on the line for at that point. That's such a good piece <laughs> of advice. Jane, I could like talk to you about this all day, but we're nearly at time. And so I want, I've got one more question for you. And that is, it's for a resource and like just something that's been helping you, you know, obviously you are, you've had to up level as a leader, as an entrepreneur, the business has been growing. Like what, what resource has helped you do that that you think other people should check out? Well, I might use this to plug my business course, thelazyceo.com. So I do have a business course for growing and starting, starting and growing an online business. Um, and it's like just all about like sourcing product marketing and then the talking through the stages of growth that I have that I had. It's um just a bunch of videos. So if you want to get sick of seeing my face, <laughs> but in terms of like, not to, I don't want to like plug it too much. So I'll talk about some of the things that I really enjoyed. We'll put I, a link in the show notes as well for people who yay. want to check it out. <laughs> Thank you. And then um, in terms of like, what's really helped me, I think I feed off other people. So at the time I joined some like business course thing, which I don't think necessarily taught me that much because with hindsight it probably would have helped someone who had to make b2b sales um so it's, it's a lot of like sales skills not a, not a lot in terms of like online and digital marketing but being in part of that environment really helped um having people to ask questions and like just being surrounded because this is again back in like 2012 2013 none of my friends had businesses everyone worked corporate i felt very like I had no one to talk to about things and you know all the ideas were just coming from me but being part of like a, surrounded by other business people really helped but I think okay that's all great advice because I'm sure people are surrounded by other entrepreneurs oh like-minded bitches drinking wine my business group yeah with 170,000 I do members. think community I mean like this is something that a lot of founders on the show recommend and it's because it is important like you need to find other people who are doing this as you can't just be like hanging out with the people that you went to high school with who have are not going in the same place that you want to go like mm. you need they can be your best mates through but like you need to find people that are like your version of like colleagues if you're working mm. on a business by yourself who can like help you with that and that's why yeah communities like like-minded bitches drinking wine we've got a group chat as well and like yes find the people yes yes exactly love that Jane, thank you so much for coming on the show. Like your story is a wild one. I feel like I could talk to you all day, every day. What, um, where can people find you? Where can they find all of your resources? Yes. So you can find me on Insta, the lazy CEO, and there's my podcast, the lazy CEO podcast. Um, not the one with the man, the one with, um, the girl. 
There's like a guy with the exact same name as my podcast. But I'm, anyway, so pick the one. You've been the, you were the lazy CEO first on Instagram. The OG, that's right. And then of yeah. course, come check out Showpo for all your fashion needs. <laughs> Love it. Thank you so much. Thank you. Quick shout out to all of our business bestie subscribers. If you are loving the show and you are building a consumer, CPG or e-commerce business, or you're about to build one, this membership will give you access to the people, experiences, and the tools that you really need to build your dream business. Head to femalefounderworld.com forward slash subscriber for more.